Thank you for joining us today with Cindy Sherwood's podcast, Words for the Journey. Where is justice? In my ministry, in my books and Bible studies, I talk a lot about identities, our victim behaviors and how to identify them. If you haven't listened to my podcast on the victim identity, you might want to do so because it closely relates to our topic today. Micah 6.8 is a short verse that packs a punch. It easily contains a large volume of direction and insight. I have found it immensely helpful to have this memorized and bring it into my thoughts whenever I'm confronted with a dilemma. Here it is. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Justice, mercy, and humility. One of those three are likely the right answer for any life situation we might face. Let's unpack this and see what's inside. Let's start with justice. Do justly. Two words. That is what God asks us to do. Sounds simple enough. Doing the right thing is always the right thing to do. That is not hard as long as we want to do the right thing, as long as we're not feeling the temptation to do the wrong thing. When our will lines up with God's will, doing justly is easy because we want to. When it gets hard, it's when we don't want to. Dieting's the same way. I happen to really like salad. So eating a grilled chicken salad when I go out for lunch is no problem. I'm really not tempted to go for the sandwich or pasta. My problem comes in when it's time for dessert. I want dessert, but I know it's the wrong thing for me to eat. Dieting's easy until I have to eat something I don't want to eat or can't eat something I do want to eat. Relationships are the same. I'm happy to be kind and generous and patient in giving when I feel like it. I have lots of grandchildren. Doing things with them, for them, is easy. I love it. I love them. So doing the right thing is easy. But they're little kids. I tell them what to do and they mind me, at least most of the time. I love my husband too. Why isn't it just as easy to do the right thing in that relationship? Well, for one thing, I don't control Brian. He's an adult. What if he does something I don't like? What if he spends money I don't want him to spend? What if he does something I don't want him to do? What if he doesn't give me what I want him to give me? What then? Am I still doing justly? Or am I lashing out? Am I self-protecting? Am I walking away in a pout? Am I getting revenge? Or am I still kind and loving? Can I speak my mind and still be respectful? Can I forgive him? Can I be patient and merciful? Now how easy is it to do justly? And these matters are just as difficult with our families, friends, church members, co-workers, etc. Micah 6.8 relates to every relationship. And what about when no one is looking? Are we still doing the right thing? 
It's not just in our relationships. Do we pay our taxes, all of them? Do we pay our bills on time and in full? What do we pull up on the internet? What do we watch on TV? What are we buying? What are we eating and drinking? God says, do justly. Do the right thing. Probably the biggest obstacle to doing the right thing is our victim mentality. We justify our bad choices. We place blame everywhere except upon ourselves. We live in self-deceit and are dishonest about our choices. We minimize our actions. At the end of the day, though, we are responsible. No one else is responsible for the choices we made. We can make great strides forward on this issue if we will simply admit the truth and take responsibility for our choices. Brian has no fewer issues living with me than I do with him. That's just part of being in a close relationship, in being married. I need to focus on my own junk. Just because his actions or choices are not what I want them to be, I am still responsible for my own actions. Being first provoked by another person is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm still responsible for doing the right thing regardless of what the other person did first. No exceptions. Adding bad behavior to a situation never made anything better. We are way too powerful in our own eyes. We're trying to control the universe, but the truth of the matter is we control no one but ourselves. Will we choose to not be part of the problem? Doing the right thing is a choice, every person's choice. When we don't do the right thing, we make our lives more painful and problematic. For one, Sin causes a barrier in our relationship with God. That's a big one. It adds wounds of shame and guilt. It keeps us from living in freedom because sin takes us into bondage. When we do the right thing, even when others are not doing the right thing, it tells God we believe him, that we understand judgment and punishment are his areas of responsibility not ours. Oswald Chambers said, do not be bothered with whether you are being justly dealt with or not. To look for justice is a sign of deflection from devotion to him. Never look for justice in this world, but never cease to give it. Wow, (laughs) I think that is very good advice. Never look for justice in this world. How many of us make ourselves crazy every day because we're so upset about this wrong thing or that wrong thing, what this person said or that person did? Stop being bothered by all that. It will never stop until Jesus comes again. Stop looking at other people and what they're doing. Just make sure you aren't part of the problem. Just make sure you are doing justly in your choices and relationships. You do the right thing and leave everyone else to God. Well, because that first standard was so much fun, let's go on to the second one. Loving mercy. I had my greatest test 
of loving mercy years ago when God completed my healing from childhood abuse. I was sexually abused by my father and grandfather. My grandfather died when I was seven, so there was no relationship when I remembered what he did to me. But my father was still alive. As in most families where abuse takes place, everyone in the family system plays a role. Not everyone is necessarily part of the abuse or even knows about the abuse. But to some extent, everyone works to protect the secret. It's just too painful to consider otherwise. So when I told what happened, it wasn't the reception I wanted, needed, or hoped for. I was met with resistance. Basically, no one believed me or supported me. It was easier to see me as the problem than to honestly deal with the ugly truth that dad was a sexual predator. I understand their need to self-protect. No one wants to see their father as a monster. Nevertheless, it was a bitter pill to swallow. After going through nine difficult years of healing and remembering this terrible sexual abuse, now my family chose to see me as the problem and abandon me. With each family member, it was a little different. Some chose to end the relationship. Some didn't but agreed to disagree. My father fueled the whole thing by continually telling lies. The older he got, the more outrageous the lies were. It continued right up until he took his own life. He never told the truth. No one in my life was suggesting I forgive my family or what they did. No one. Everyone in my world told me to walk away have nothing to do with them, treat them as if they don't exist. And certainly, there were years when there was no contact. As I said, it was different with each family member, but after I let everyone know what happened, it changed my family forever. During those years, I missed my family terribly. The ache and longing never went away. I loved them. In spite of what they had done, I still love them. And I love God. God had been so good to me. He'd never left my side all those years during my healing. He restored my life and put my feet on a new path. When he did, I wanted to try and reconnect with my family. So one by one, I began showing up on their doorsteps, inviting myself back into their life. You're probably wondering, whether that included my father or not. Yes, even with my father. We had about 11 years where we continued to have visits and see each other, although we never again discussed the abuse. Was it hard? Massively. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Did it change anything? Not really at least not in terms of receiving any love and support, but I'm glad I did it nevertheless. No longer was I living in bitterness and unforgiveness toward them. I had released them up to the Lord, and he sent down his mercy where judgment had been living. I was free. I was released from the captivity of all those painful things. Even though it was a very surface relationship, I was able to stay connected. God was right. Loving mercy is the best thing. It's the best thing for me. It's the best thing for all my relationships. 
and it is the best thing in my relationship with God. Loving mercy is understanding that I am saved only by God's mercy, and so responding by giving mercy to others. Loving mercy is acknowledging that judgment is God's deal, not mine. Luke 6, 27 to 28 says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Then dropping down to verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Stop wagging your finger at people. No one does the right thing all the time. No one ever did, except Jesus. Live the way God tells you to live. Love mercy. Loving mercy is a powerful agent in the lives of others, leading them to God's grace and forgiveness. Here's the bottom line. God is merciful to you. Show your appreciation and acknowledgement by giving mercy to others. And that brings us to our third standard, walking humbly. Humility is an accurate assessment of how we view our position to God. Who is in charge? Who is in the position of authority and who is not? Who is in control as is demonstrated by your actions? When we're walking humbly, we are acknowledging that God is the sovereign authority and the one who has control, not us. Pride and humility are opposites. We are one or the other, humble or prideful, but never both. Pride is acting as if God is subordinate to us. Humility is living in the truth that we are subordinate to God. This is what Jesus did for us. Even though he was God, he had the credentials to be his own provider, protector, and power source. Yet he yielded to his father. Philippians 2, 6-8 in the NIV says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We are to be like Christ, and Christ was humble. He was above others, but he didn't put himself above others. He served. Just before those verses, Paul admonishes us to be like Christ. Philippians 2, 1-5 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. 
do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's how we are to conduct ourselves in regard to other people. We are never to put ourselves above another human, no matter who they are or what they've done. My life is for glorifying God, not glorifying myself. If there's anything good in me, it's because God put it there. I cannot take credit. Humility is looking at myself with sober judgment. I am what I am by the grace of God. When we walk through the door of humility, we walk through one of the most powerful doors in our walk with Jesus because walking humbly clears the way for him to work through our life in the most amazing way. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Adopt these three standards and God will do amazing things in and through you all the time. All scripture is from the New King James Version, unless otherwise stated. Thank you for listening to Cindy Sherwood's podcast. Visit us on the web at hishealinglight.org to learn more about our ministry. Please consider rating us on iTunes or your other favorite music app. God's best to you today.